Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I am also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. If you find, want to find out more about what we do in our transparency and advocacy efforts, both in Chicago and starting to expand around the country, you can go to chicagojustice.org and find out all you need to know about everything we do. All right, today, our show, we're going to talk about Clerk Martinez's uh, flip-flop, the circuit, new circuit court clerk who took the place of Dorothy Brown, who was supposed to be this new um, breath of fresh air, who seems to be nothing, it's like new boss, same as the old boss type of thing going on there. Gang, uh, gang data, affiliation data failure. Um, CPD seems to making a habit of not making progress. CPD, um, and we talk about his, uh, the Hispanic Caucus endorses a compromise on the Community Safety Bill or the Community Safety Commission. We talk a little bit about a consent decree, more about the CPD not making progress they should. Um, and then we talk about a really stupid use of crime data from Crime and Wrigleyville blogger CWB Chicago. Not surprising, they try to frame themselves as a media outlet and they're different but they're different from the mainstream media and they're making the same if not worse mistakes than the media this coming wednesday 4 14 we have our first town hall it's on reimagining a new paradigm of transparency on rape kits and rape kit processing for those not in the know chicago has had what seems to be a 20-year um problem of having a backlog that never seems to end and it's always clouded in corruption and incompetence about what's going on with rape kits we aim to change that and we're going to be talking to three experts maria blada from resilience which is in chicago it'll say connect from the joyful heart foundation kind of a more national uh, bigger picture view donna piler from guardian angel community services in Joliet and more of a view of the statewide issues. So join us for that. It's at, not at our normal showtime. It's at 7 p.m. Central. Catch it wherever you stream the show, Twitter, Facebook, our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel. Hopefully we'll see you there. You can, as in, especially with this show, you can, uh, and for the town hall, you can submit comments and questions for inclusion live in the event from any of those platforms. Okay, let's get started. Segment one, Circuit Court Clerk Iris Martinez. Now, many of you who are not criminal justice um, experts may not even know this office exists, but if you end up in the court system at all, you will uh, deal with this office, or at least your file will. They're the office that handles all the paperwork and data for the Cook County Courts. And that is criminal or civil. In our view, we're just thinking about criminal. And I want to show you this. Here we go. This is an article from Injustice Watch in Chicago. And they do a good job of nailing the clerk's flip-flop. When she was campaigning, she was all about how, even though the clerk's office isn't necessarily covered um, by the Illinois Freedom of Information Act, or arguably isn't. I, I would argue that to some degree they are, but she says they're not, everyone is considered that the office exempt. She was going to make the office 
um, abide by the Illinois Freedom of Information Act. They're, in, they're basically considered part of the courts, and courts are exempt from FOIA, so it was always questionable. Dorothy Brown had a habit, the predecessor, not ever responding to FOIAs, never, never being um, transparent with court data, even when you get the court's blessing to get the data, which I will get to in a moment about our issues with the office. But of course, Iris Martinez in office, I believe she took office in early December, if I'm not mistaken. So we're four months, five months in, and she's already flip-flopping. She just supported Senate Bill 583. And basically this uh, Senate bill is going to limit um, what, or I guess designate the clerk as not having to clerk's offices around the state as to not have to be responsive to the Illinois Freedom of Information Act, which is by far the most transparent of all um, levels of transparency under the law in Illinois. Instead, she this bill mandates that the clerk's offices are responsive to what's called the Local Records Act, which is um, pretty much a joke. It does not... There's no right for people who are requesting records to appeal. We uh, requesters like the Chicago Justice Project, others are just completely denied all levels of records. This is not an accident. This is just a flip flop. Iris Martinez, typical Cook County, Illinois, Chicago politician. Say one thing when you're running, do another when you're in office. Um, to some degree, we have that for mayor. We've had that for mayor forever. Um, and most of the aldermen and most of the Cook County board, some degree, the Cook County board president, certainly a large degree as to what's in office or has been in office at the Illinois General Assembly. By no means all of them, but many of them. She joins a long list of people. Now, how it affects CJP. This is a copy of a letter from Cook County Circuit Court Chief Judge Timothy Evans. And if you look closely at that date, ladies and gentlemen, you will notice that is 2015, November. That letter to us and to the clerk's office is basically a signed agreement with Cook County um, Circuit Court Chief Judge Timothy Evans and the Chicago Justice Project for CJP to get access to 40, well, at that point, what was 30, believed to be 35 years of case-level data from the Cook County's criminal court. It would be data on every case filed um, through November of 2015, and then it also mandated regular updates. It by far would have been the largest, and still would be, the largest transparency victory in the criminal justice sphere in America. Cook County's rumored to be either the second or third largest uh, unified court system in the country. Um, the criminal court's extremely busy. Obviously, we have issues with violence and crime in Chicago. This would have been a massive coup. That letter gets to the clerk's office, Dorothy Brown's office. She wants to charge us $25,000 to access the data, to de-identify, take out a couple fields. Yes, it's corrupt. Yes, it's basically um, good old Cook County corruption. More or less a legitimate form of payoff because that's how they operate here. Now, um, her, um, Iris Martinez's chief of staff, 
during the campaign agreed. Um, we sent them this information. We talked to Patrick Hanlon. He agreed that they would honor this request and most likely not charge us anything. And what happened? Well, it's been radio silence since they got elected. I don't know if that's going to stay that way. Um, but we're very concerned that this is, we're going to get the same thing from Iris Martinez that we got from Dorothy Brown, which is cover up, deny. I'm not sure if it's a power thing or what it is. Um, I'm not sure why she doesn't want her office to be covered by FOIA, um, but it's not a good sign. It's unfortunate, but I don't think we probably should have expected much less. We'll keep you updated on our fight with the clerk's office. We're going to go. It's going to be a much more public battle than it's been over the last few years, for sure. Okay, segment two. The CPD not making real progress on transitioning from what we call the gang affiliation data system, data management they have. You'll hear others, activists and community groups talk about their gang database. It is not a separate database, ladies and gentlemen. It is part of a database called Clear, which CPD had Oracle build years and years ago and spent a lot of millions on it. It's fields within that database. So that being said, the deputy inspector, uh, the yeah, the dep yeah, I think deputy inspector, public deputy public safety inspector general's office that I helped create a couple years ago did a report um, on the database. A great article from McDummy, uh, dummy Dumkey from ProPublica came out and basically um, detailed. He got a dump of the uh, a lot of the data. And it showed just how horrifically biased, ridiculously bad. They had people in the database that were like 115 years old. Um, people still in gangs at 70 or 80, just ridiculously bad. There was no transparency around it. There was no way to appeal. There was no way to know if you were in there. There were no regulations for why. Um, how, how, there was no consistency about how or why someone would get into the database because that's not something the police department believes in. It's so poorly managed. There was no way anything like that was ever going to be run well. So Dumkey, McDumkey from ProPublica does a story. It prompts a deputy public and safety, deputy public safety inspector general investigation and report audit. They issue a report in 19, I think in April of 19, if I'm not mistaken. The Police department, they come up with recommendations. The police department under Eddie Johnson um, agrees to many of them, disagrees with a couple, and outright says no to one, I think. We've had, and previously we've had, if you look in previous episodes, we've had uh, Deborah Witzberg, who's the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General, on the show a few times already in the year we've been doing this. And one of those times was to talk about this audit that they did. So this is a new look. Hey, it's been two years since we gave you this recommendation and you said you were going to do things. What did you do? Right. And this is a copy of that report. A follow up inquiry on the CPD department, the Chicago Police Department's gang database. Now it's in quotes. It isn't a database. That's the colloquial. I refuse to do that because I don't like to mislead people. Um, what did they find? Well, they found that the CPD immediately uh, started a community engagement process 
that wasn't horrible. Um, they also started drafting revisions and a plan to change how they capture and regulate and who can put this data in. Um, COVID hit, and you're not going to be surprised. None of us will. That was the end of their because that was the end of their community engagement. Obviously, shortly thereafter, you're seeing issues with George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd. So that all makes sense. Here's the real big thing that sticks out in this um, updated and that look at what they've been doing. They issued a draft general order. They asked for public comment. They took public comment. They made changes. They still haven't implemented that new draft. Two years later. Two. Two. And to make things worth, worse, they haven't even um, designated someone to lead this effort. There's no one within the department that's whose job it is to solely go after making this change and seeing it through nobody and you know um david brown's excuse the current superintendent's excuse obviously he wasn't there the whole time we're approaching or, or just past his one year anniversary he's saying well COVID, and you don't understand listen i understand covid and the george floyd and the protests and the unrest were issues but you had plenty of time to designate someone someone should have been designated before brown got in and he sure Brown, so there was Eddie Johnson, then uh, Superintendent Beck, Charlie Beck from L.A. was here for a short period of time. He didn't designate someone. David Brown came in. He hasn't still designated someone. They don't want to make this change. They're going to drag it out as long as humanly possible. And that's just a stain on the department. But it's how it operates. It's not going to change itself. This is just another nail in that coffin that has a thousand nails in it already. They will not change themselves. This is somewhere where if you've been viewing this show previously, you will see that I am totally for the city council and the Cook County Board and the General Assembly passing laws, legislation, mandating and restraining police use of force and policy changes. This is one that is going to have to happen. The city council needs to step up and pass an ordinance mandating this change and mandating guidelines be produced and mandating a public policy for them to be reviewed every year and an audit every year of the current data systems and what's in there, who can access them because the police department isn't going to do it themselves. And that is clear as day. I knew it well before this. This is just another nail in that coffin. Okay, we're going to get on to our next segment here, which is um, something that broke, well, broke, came out earlier today from the Sun-Times, and they sent out an email because, oh, my God, you're not going to be shocked by this one. But they wanted you to think because the email seemed kind of like a breaking news thing. The CPD is preparing for demonstrations both after the Chauvin George Floyd verdict in Minneapolis, but also the release of the Toledo shooting video. Makes sense, right? Breaking news, they're doing this. No, what ended up happening today is the police department briefed some aldermen on their plans of how to deal with both. And some aldermen, Lopez, I think, Jason Irvin, um, probably to cover their butts more than anything, 
were warning Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot, and David Brown and others, both in person, I think, and through the media, about how you have you can't take district personnel out of the districts to protect downtown in the loop. That's what happened, um, for better or worse, during the um, the George Floyd the response to George Floyd's murder back in late May, I think is when that actually happened. Um, May 28th, if I'm not mistaken, was the first protest. So I think this is more some aldermen, especially ones that may not necessarily get along with Lightfoot or the superintendent, trying to cover their butts and, and show their residents and their supporters that they're fighting to keep the district personnel in their district. Um, that isn't going to happen. They're, um, let's just say that no police department in the country has enough personnel to handle unrest throughout the entire city all at the same time. Um, being part of a democracy that has up until recently been considered very stable, there's never been a need for that. We don't want to pay for that. We don't want that many cops on the streets at any time. So it's just not feasible to have enough cops. You're going to have to move them. When unrest, like what happened last uh, spring, late spring and summer, when things like that happen, you're going to have to move cops. It is just the way it goes. And they're going to be on time. There are going to be times when you move those cops and unrest pops up where you move them from. Um, it's a whack-a-mole issue. Um, and this is why things like George Floyd, Laquan McDonald, Tamir Rice, uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson, we can go on and on. Uh, Breonna Taylor. I, and there's all the names coming to my head at this time. I'm sure I could find in Google search dozens, if not hundreds more over the last few years. That's why those events are so impactful and are so bad. Because people have to understand, people in America submit to being governed. They allow themselves to be governed. We don't have to have a police force. Americans allow a police force in their communities, in their cities, in their towns. We allow it. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the police have to exist. America is built on the fact that Americans allow ourselves, submit us, that we submit to being policed. For better or worse on that, we do. And when the police department loses legitimacy, you get, and the government loses legitimacy, you get the unrest that we had last summer. And that's why um, it's so important that we don't see repeats. I have no faith that we're not going to see repeats. I have full faith that we're going to see repeats. Whether it's a day, a week, a month, a year, we will see more of those killings of unarmed black people for no legitimate reason. You know, on this whole Toledo video, uh, shooting video release, it could very well be that the delay in showing it to the family is solely based on the fact that they're preparing for the unrest that will follow. I don't know if that's true. I fear that it is. I reached out to sources today in the department. And by, while very pe few people have seen it, don't believe the FOP, they have not seen it. The Fraternal Order of Police, even though they said we covered that on Wednesday, they said they certainly, the president certainly sounded like he had seen the video, but he hadn't. 
Um, it's possible that video contains something that is going to spark a repeat of at least May 28th last year. And that's bad news if that happens for all of us. Um, I don't want to see anyone die, but when they do die at police hands, I want the shootings to be as legitimate as we can possibly have them be. Um, we'll see. I'm a little worried about that. Um, I'm worried about all of it. I'm worried about the Shelvin verdict and I'm worried about the Toledo video, um, shooting video being released and whether or not it's going to, um, what it's going to show us. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break and I'll be back in one minute. And we're going to be talking about the Hispanic caucus endorsing the civilian police oversight compromise um, that Lightfoot has rejected. We'll be right back. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice. Our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being with us. So we're talking now about the Hispanic caucus and how they endorsed. They took a vote and they endorsed the, um, the latest, uh, compromise ordinance, uh, from, um, two different groups. That's why I call it compromise. Uh, GAPA, the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability, and COPA, uh, and CPAC. Uh, the Citizen Police um, Community Council. I forgot what that A stands for, and I apologize for um, CCAP. We're having uh, Tamar uh, Tamer on next week to talk about a representative from CPAC on to talk about it. But, so, Hispanic Ordinance endorses this ordinance. What does that mean? Okay, a little background. Um, GAP of the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability was basically the first set of like community groups to meet about creating some kind of civilian council commission, depends on what you want to call it, call it to oversee, to take a larger role in overseeing the police department, have a voice in the hiring and firing of the police superintendent, have some kind of voice in, um, have some kind of voice in um, a hiring of the head of what was going to then be COPA, Citizens Office of Police Accountability, and also um, the police board, the head of uh, the, me the members of the police board. So GAPA, let me back up and say, as, as the ordinance to create the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General and which also contained the creation of COPA, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, um, that was replacing the Independent Police Review Authority. So IPRA was getting rid of IPRA, creating COPA, and creating the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's Office. I was involved in helping write it. 
Um, the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General ordinance was actually my idea. In, um, in a t it came up in a talk with Community Renewal Society that wrote the, f the first version of the ordinance that went into City Council called Fair Cost to create a uh, Deputy Public Safety Inspector General and COPA. During that same time, a, uh, a set of community groups came together, um, coalescing into a group and calling themselves the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability. As we were working to pass Fair Cops Ordinance, they, Ron was also pushing to create his version of this community commission council that had no power. GAPA pushed the mayor's office to stall that in 2016, the summer and early fall of 2016. Do not pass this community council commission. We want to go back to our community groups, our communities, and work with them on a proposal we can, our communities can live with. So they didn't pass it. Fear Cops version of COPA and the new Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's office. Um, it did pass. That passes. I think around September of 2016. Unfortunately, since that time, they were never able to get ROM to pass a, a newer version. Lightfoot campaigned on a passing the either GAPA or the CPAC version, which was later introduced, which is a much more radical version. Um, they were going to pass one of those. Lightfoot committed to passing one of those in their first 100 days. Well, fast forward, we're now approaching our 720th day or two years um, in office, and she hasn't passed it. Uh, a few months ago, she walked away from the bargaining table. Why they're bargaining two years into her office, and they were bargaining like three years with Rom? It's ridiculous that it would take that long to create this thing. She walked away and she said, hey, I'm done negotiating with these people. I'm going to introduce my own. That pushed the GAPA people and the CPAC people to come together. And they did create a compromised version. Um, I have a copy of it. Um, I told CPAC I wouldn't uh, talk about it or go public with it until we had them on the show to discuss it. So early next week, we will be uh, discussing in depth the compromised ordinance. We may be uh, bringing someone in from GAPA. Uh, Demarius Young, if I got his name right. He, uh, there was an interview with um, Demarius sometime over the summer about the GAPA version that was live at that time. So we have this compromised version. The Hispanic Caucus votes um, kind of in... Um, in rejection of Lightfoot and votes to support this compromised version. Lightfoot does not want, period. Not sure why. Um, I, I should say that. I'm pretty convinced that she doesn't want this commission to have any real meaningful oversight role and certainly no role in selecting superintendents, even giving no confidence votes on the superintendents. Nothing. She doesn't want any of it. She's certainly for the show of this commission having something, not just being anywhere near actually legitimate oversight. So the Hispanic caucus has voted. We'll see if the progressive caucus, I'm not sure if they voted to do. We'll see what happens. Um, we talked to Matt Martin, Alderman Matt Martin, 47th Ward, you know, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, and he said there's a strong appetite, in his opinion, to pass a version that is not the mayor's version. So we're going to see because 
I know a lot of aldermen are feeling pressure to pass something that isn't Lightfoot's version. So we'll see what comes up. This hopefully is a step in the right direction. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what comes of this. Um, one interesting note is, I think the vote in the progressive the Hispanic caucus was seven to one, with five members not voting or not even showing up for the vote. So they must have known they would lose, um, and they don't want any part of it. It is strange how. You get a person of color, someone who is worried about their communities and not voting for um, a legitimate over police civilian civilian police oversight doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe we should talk to some of those aldermen. We'll look into it. See if we can get them on the show to say why they don't want it. Okay, segment number five. Lightfoot administration and the Chicago Police Department still behind on court-ordered reforms as part of the consent decree without going delving too much into this um here's an article from um the tribune if you want to um look it up to get more in depth about what they're saying this is not new um they've been behind since they started there have been there's i think there are quarterly reports that the monitor that is overseeing the consent decree issues the police department has been behind 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 they started to catch up a little bit in this one my worry and what i the reason i wanted to bring this up and talk about it today is i want people to understand that the consent decree is isn't in and of itself the holy grail of police reform and lightfoot is treating it that way this is the process. This is the process we've agreed to. We're working on it. And that, this and only this. And the city council and everyone else should butt out. This is the only thing. Now, <laughs> at this rate, we're going to be here 10 or 15 years before the police department makes all the changes necessary to get the consent decree lifted. So we should not, not at any level, restrict ourselves to thinking that the only thing that can be done is within the terms of the consent decree, the confines of it can't be. The consent decree has some really good things in it. We can move even further. I would suggest, and we're trying to get Alder, Alder woman Maria Haddon on to talk about it. I would suggest that the Anjanette Young ordinance, the ordinance restricting and regulating the use of warrants is such a thing. It is such a thing that needs to be passed. Um, so I, while, you know, there's a, um, there's this desire or immediate reaction or to think that the consent decree is the holy grail. It isn't, we, even if we, as we proceed through the consent decree, we have to push our elected officials, including Mayor Lightfoot, um, our aldermen, our Cook County board, president, our Cook County board, our Illinois General Assembly, our legislators, our governor, to put more regulations in and keep pushing and forcing transparency, but also restricting what the departments can do and regulating their behavior. The police accountability system isn't going to do it. In the end, it's always going to be a failure. And while the consent decree has some good things in it, we can always go further. So we have to think outside of that paradigm that Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot, and some of the city council are trying, and the police department specifically, are trying to force us in. We have to get beyond it.
Okay, segment six. Um, this is Crime and Wrigleyville blog. And this is, um, we've talked about this a couple times this week, not the uh, CWB, but this idea that, um, and I'm going to harp on it all the time, I'm going to harp on it every time they do it, either Crime and Wrigleyville blog or the mainstream media or hack um, machine politicians like um, Paul Vallis, who we talked about on Wednesday's show. You can't, it is illegitimate to compare 2020 crime statistics to what's going on in 2021. Well, I should say, comparing 2020 to 19, uh, 2019, you also can't, or any year before that, you also can't compare what's going on in 2021 now, especially the first quarter of 2021, to what happened in the first quarter of 20. No, it's not legitimate. It's completely illegitimate. It's done for a political purpose. In Chicago, in the mainstream media, it's for clicks. And CWB, it's both for political, to drive a political agenda because they have one. It's not based in science. It's based in probably, we don't know who the people are, but I think, I think it's mostly white, white men know best from everyone, right? We, just, we don't have to have science or research. We just know better than everyone. Uh, to some degree, you're getting that with Paul Vallis and his tweets on crime and violence. It's pretty sad, but this is another thing. This article is about how with ridership low on the red line, violent crime is through the roof in 2021, the first quarter compared to first quarter of 2020. Well, hey, let's think. Hmm, as I said on Wednesday, and I think I said on Monday, and I think I've said in many, many previous shows, definitely the one with Loyola researchers Don Steeman, uh, professors uh, Don Steeman and Dave Olson, um, of course, it's higher. All crime numbers are going to be higher. You have unprecedented uh, economic, housing, and health insecurity with a worldwide um, pan worldwide pandemic that has killed over 550,000 Americans in 12 months, 13 months maybe. Probably a lot more when we look at what the people that died between like November of 19 till the middle of March when it really supposedly set in in the country. You can't compare those numbers. It's invalid. It's for politics. It's for clicks. It's dishonest. And I mean, that's what you get from Crime and Brigadeville. It's not a shock. It's an anonymous news sort of political operation. Um, of course, crime is up in red line. Of course. What do you mean? There's no one riding it. There are very few people riding it. You know what deters crime um, just about as good as anything else? Especially violent crime, especially crime to strangers, armed robberies, a lot of people being around, right? And we all know this. That's why you get on an L train. Do you go for the one that has no one in it or one person in it? Or do you go for the one that has 20 or 30 people in it? Most of the time you go for 20 or 30 people just because you feel safer because you know you're safer. You know what the data shows? You're safer. Um, so, yeah, violent crime is through the roof because we have an extension of this pandemic and everything it's brought on. So comparing the first three months, the first quarter of 2021 and the first quarter of 20 is illegitimate. It's what these crime in Brickleyville, Chicago City Wire, uh, Chicago Contrarian, if I'm getting the name right, that's what they do. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see this get picked up by the Tribune or Sun-Times for clicks. Oh, my God, it's out of control. Um 
what is really the worst epidemic besides obviously the pandemic but in reporting is the reporting is this is this misuse uh clickbait exploitation of violence and crime in chicago for money for clicks for attention um and for Kremlin Wrigleyville blog or CWB Chicago for Chicago City Wire, it used to be for Second City Cop blog. Sometimes they're just doing it for attention. It's a political agenda. This is um, these sites for to a large extent should be thought of as Newsmax or OAN One American News. I mean that's how illegitimate they should be viewed. It's not always that they're just making stuff up. It's that it's so without context and it's so exploited that they're just pushing an agenda. It's not about really informing and educating the public and giving them information to live their lives and hold people to account. That's not what it is here. It's, um, it's quite the opposite. So um, I wouldn't recommend reading it. We're doing enough of that for you. We're starting a special uh, series blog series on our website, which I'll be bringing up in the next couple of weeks, maybe as early as next week. If the first one is uh, published next week about looking at reporting on a week's basis, a week of reporting from crime and Wrigleyville blog, city wire, the Chicago contrarian and other sites, um, similar sites to just analyze how they're misreporting crime and violence and uh, what agenda and deciphering it, what agenda they're pushing. Okay. Our last, um, our last segment for the day, and it's a repeat from Wednesday too, unfortunately, maybe a little bit on Monday. CPD moves to fire two officers in the red line shooting. We played our, our video. There's a video on YouTube you can get about this on our YouTube channel. And it's our take on what drove the two officers less than a year ago to shoot an unarmed suspect on the red line platform, I believe at Grand. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here. What I want to highlight here is what you're seeing the police accountability system do. Like, first of all, these two need to be fired. But that isn't going to stop this from happening again. It's going to stop these two officers from doing it again. But the system in place that drove that engagement and then drove these two poorly trained and competent police officers to shoot that man is going to be left in place if the only avenues for change are solely based on these two officers it's it's like seeing not seeing the forest for the trees and that's a problem and a lot of times that's what you get from the police accountability of their system they're so focused on the narrow issue the individual incident that they can't see the systems in place that drive them this is why i was so um committed to Getting that Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's office um, up and running. I didn't want it in the Inspector General's office. You can find out more about that in previous videos with Deborah Whitsburg. I didn't want it there. I think they're doing a good job. I didn't want it in the Inspector General's office. I wanted to be completely independent of every office in the city government. But it ended up in this in the Inspector General's office. Um, they're doing good work with their audits. Um, but with that office, they look at the forest and not the trees. And that's what we have to do. So the police accountability system doesn't do it. COPA, IPRA, the Office of Professional Standards before it, never did. Um, and it's unfortunate that COPA doesn't. Um, but thankfully, we have the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's office that is doing it. Um, 
I hope they get to a point where they start researching misconduct cases, not so much for the individual misconduct of an uh, the, uh, the misconduct of an individual officer, but to see what systems contributed to that misconduct. I hope that's what we see. Um, we are going to author a letter in the next couple of weeks pushing the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General to do an audit of uh, litigation stemming from violations of the Illinois Freedom of Information Act and just audit the department's um, release of information and data responsive to FOIA. All right. That is for another show coming up, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Remember, our town hall is Wednesday, this coming Wednesday on the 14th at 7 p.m. Central, talking about reimagining a, a, a new paradigm of transparency around rape kit processing. You can get us on even that. It'll be a special, uh, special issue, a special event of our Chicago Justice Show. It'll be at 7 p.m. Central. You can get that on our Twitch channel, on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and our Twitter page. And from each of those platforms, you can submit questions for our show and um, for our regular show every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5.30 Central. And for uh, any of our special shows, police board meetings, streams, our city council, uh, public safety committee streams, and for our town hall series. Um, which we're starting on Wednesday the 14th. Thank you so much, everyone, and we will see you um, on Monday at 5.30 Central. Thank you very much.